Brancomalytic, thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au. Okay, today we're talking with Hong Kong-born H.Y. William Chan, who is an urbanist, an architect, a designer dedicated to creating resilient and inclusive places for people. A UNICEF young ambassador during the 25th anniversary of the Convention of the Rights of the Child, William has led community building projects for the homeless, slum dwellers and refugee youth. He was named in the 2019 Forbes 30 Under 30 list as a game-changing business and industry leader in the Asia-Pacific region. William's architecture and design solutions have been showcased across 40 cities, most notably at the Venice and Rotterdam Biennales, the Oslo and Milan Triennales, New York Centre for Architecture, UN World Urban Forum and Sydney Design Festival. He has co-authored the UN Habitat World Urban Youth Declaration and represented the global leaders in launching the UN Youth 2030 Strategy at the 2018 Global Assembly in New York. He is also an ambassador for the 2020 Sustainability Awards set to kick off on November 12. So welcome to Talking Architecture and Design, H.Y. William Chan. Thank you so much for having me, Branko. That's an, that's an incredible, um, I've got to say, CV, and, and that's only a, a tiny sliver of it. I've got to say, that's, wow. Um, look, uh, <laughs> let's, let's, let's um, can, I, can I ask, how have you been keeping? Have you been keeping well with what's been going on? Yeah, uh, doing well. I know, you know, it's been quite difficult, uh, a challenging period um, for, for everyone, um, and just trying to ensure that uh, we're, we're looking after ourselves uh, during this period. Um, you know, there's a lot of disruption, a lot of changes, but uh, a lot of these challenges, you know, uh, hopefully are also opportunities and ones that we can uh, look forward to and actually uh, start thinking about and having that hope as well. I think, you know, having that optimism um, during challenging, challenging times is really what re- being resilient is about. That's actually, that's very interesting you say that. So on the point of COVID, since everyone else is talking about it, let's expand on that. Do you think that this pandemic is going to alter the way we design, you know, buildings, urban spaces, public spaces? I mean, I've heard, I've heard, and I've, I've also published in, in, the, in the newsletter, a lot of people who say it will, um, but I'd love to hear your take on this. I think um, it's important uh, that we uh, look at the pandemic in terms of that um, opportunity window that exists. Um, People call it the Overton uh, window, which is where uh, a lot of um, big ideas and big transformations can happen um, within a short period of time. And that window is open right now. Um, It's important to recognise that that shift in how people think about how we adapt, how we're resilient, uh, comes from uh, creating new solutions and solutions which are bold and innovative. And uh, that window um, is only open for a a short period of time. And uh, if we don't take advantage of that, uh, we are going to uh, end up missing that opportunity. So I think um, there's a lot of... uh, Uh, challenges that we're facing and it's more about instead of being reactive to the COVID-19 pandemic uh, being a bit more proactive and actually thinking long term in terms of how we can address some of these pressing sustainability issues 
but not just in terms of um, through architecture and design. I feel there's a big role we can play uh, within the industry to start building that social movement. You know, we've moved beyond just um, uh, looking at how we can advocate and how we can share ideas and share uh, the science and the knowledge uh, and really about um, how do we get uh, our communities involved. Okay, okay, that's interesting. So let's let's get a little bit more specific. You've done a lot of work over the years of design projects for those that are marginalised. Um, mm. What has this taught you? And in the context of what you've just said, what has this taught you when it comes to designing for the wider community? Look, I think um, it's it's so uh, crucial that we actually engage with people. Um, at the end of the day, uh, we we've seen how, um, for example. Uh, how quickly we could move to address um, people who are chronically homeless during the COVID um, period in uh, Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne. Uh, cities have actually ended up housing um, and being able to tackle that problem um, from, a, from a shelter perspective, understanding that shelter is uh, a basic human right. Um, but at the same time, you know, that's fantastic that we've been able to do, uh, take that action and uh, uh, solve the problem quite simply um, by actually having the willpower in terms of our governments and uh, the uh, non-profit sector that had been involved in that. But we also need to recognise that that's not enough. Um, the world is changing, it's evolving and uh, there were stories and accounts of um, some of these uh, vulnerable uh, uh, populations who uh, didn't um, want to be in quarantine in a hotel room. And, you know, we see the same in terms of international travellers who are, who are affluent, who've come back into Australia, who also complained and breached their quarantine requirements in terms of the two weeks in hotels. I mean, that's saying that how we see livability, how we see sustainability isn't just about the four walls and the roof that we have above our heads. Yes, that's important and that's critical if you are marginalised and um, uh, coming from a low socioeconomic background and don't have access to that. But I kind of feel we've, a lot of these issues, broader issues in terms of actually recognising the importance of the local neighbourhood and being able to access fresh air, public space, green spaces um, for our health and well-being, that's come so clear, um, recognising that, you know, four walls um, and, you know, being housed isn't, um, isn't what livability is about. And it's, you know, the whole idea of how do we live, how do we get from place to place? And that's completely been disrupted, you know. Our, um, our small bubbles, even um, from a... I, from a real estate perspective, isn't just anymore about how many bedrooms, bathrooms, garages we have when we're searching, um, but really about how close in proximity are we to pockets of green space, uh, to uh, spaces uh, where we can decompress, where we can think about our mental health and uh, be able to um, care for our well-being um, so that we can... Um, um, live during um, these times. You mentioned the Overton window, so um, and with what you just meant, said, said, do you think that 
when it comes to the whole issue of overall sustainability. And I know that's that's a that's a very very wide issue. It's it's not a, not just about having having that that um uh, you know that biophilic roof or, or or the water tank at the back. Do you think that the whole issue of sustainability and 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 um, do you think our species we in terms of a, as a holistic species, I think we're learning more and more to live more sustainably or do you think that Overton window may have closed and we have a long way to go? I, I do think it's, it's still open. Um, I also uh, agree in terms of your sentiments uh, that it's not just about um, add-ons add anymore. It's not just about green infrastructure and, or green elements. Um, and I think uh, the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals is actually a really good framework for um, professionals in the industries, but also outside of our industry to actually um, take um, part of in and actually see how we can adopt the 17 goals um, that needs to be achieved by 2030. Um, there's a lot of uh, talk now about how we can build and design more sustainable and built environments. Um, but we're recognising more and more that it's not just an environmental impact that we're addressing, but also the social impact, how it's affecting our lives and how it's affecting people and um, those social um, elements that come together in, in urban spaces in our cities. So it's beyond just the green um, infrastructure and the green elements, uh, which uh, most people aren't able to associate uh, immediately uh, because it's um, quite foreign. You know, people don't look at our built environments based on um, these kind of uh, systems um, that are in place. Uh, but instead, uh, we're looking um, at ourselves and uh, our health and our wellness as well. And I think that's a really big change in terms of how we go about understanding sustainability. We've now have 10 years left to address the UN Sustainable Development Goals. Uh, most uh, uh, most uh, practitioners in Australia uh, um, wouldn't know what they're about. Um, and uh, because of uh, COVID-19 and the pandemic, in fact, the UN recently, a few weeks ago, during their UN General Assembly, um, which I uh, was a part of and I uh, was able to advocate um, what I'm, the work I'm doing in cities. Um, in fact, it was the first time that they had it virtually uh, done. Um, they basically expressed um, the fact that we've gone backwards on these goals um, because of this year. So I kind of feel that speed is something um, that's important. And talking about this window of opportunity, uh, we actually actually need to just jump through that, that window uh, before it's too late. Um, I still, I'm still think um, it hasn't closed uh, that window, the Overton window, uh, because of the amount of work that you, you know, that we've seen that can be rapidly implemented. How action policies can be enacted very quickly um, if people come together and. More than that, it's also about how people have, are now making sacrifices. You know, we've all had to adapt during these times. And it just shows, especially in Australia, um, how we are able to look after not just ourselves, but others as well. And I think that's kind of the social element coming through that needs to be uh, prioritised when we're talking about sustainability. Mm -hmm.
biosustainability, uh, to get off that for a moment, the other thing we report on is design. Um, I, I, I read somewhere that last year you were quoted saying, I think the public and non-architects, especially contextually in Australia, don't value architecture, let alone design. Um, that's a very interesting statement. Um, although you're not the first one that I've heard to say that. Um, can you tell me exactly what you meant by that and, and why is this the case? Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting um, understanding uh, a lot of the work that I've done in the past uh, three, four years has really focused uh, outside of our industry. Um, a lot of the work I've um, been doing uh, in, in architecture and design, uh, but also more just the skills of an architect, uh, the, the skills in uh, design thinking, um, how that actually applies to uh, broader problem solving and how we can play a part in trying to tackle some of these uh, wicked problems, uh, which are challenging to solve and um, is one that takes more than just uh, one solution but requires collaborative uh, commitment and action. Um, and it's been a way for me to really not just advocate our industry and our profession, but really uh, get under, you know, other industries, other uh, lead leaders, other decision makers to really recognise that uh, there's, this, there's an asset here through our um, profession in architecture that can um, play such an influential role, especially in terms of city making. Um, the, when I said, you know, um, that there's a lack of understanding of that is more about um, getting us to understand that we actually need to reach out beyond our own our own uh, silos, beyond, beyond our own bubbles, um, and actually uh, be able to showcase what we're about to others so that they can understand and uh, be able to uh, work for us to work together and find these solutions. And it's not, it's not, it, it, and it's not to say that um, we, um, you know, when we're not valuable, it's actually um, quite the opposite that we are valuable and yet we have to leverage our um, potential um, as an industry so that we can reach um, out to different sectors. I've been, um, I've been uh, involved with um, a TEDx talk last year uh, talking about um, architecture, uh, speaking at the UN General Assembly, uh, the, uh, the media surrounding my Forbes announcements uh, last year I was the only person globally on the Forbes 30 under 30 list uh, to actually be practicing in architecture. And that's, you know, the, these are forums where uh, traditionally architects and designers aren't involved in. Um, they don't have a voice. Uh, they don't have a seat at the table, in, you know, even at the UN headquarters um, in uh, New York, in, in Manhattan. And it's, it's understanding that there, there, there is a response there. It's not just about reaching out, but actually uh, the response, the reactions have been extremely positive in terms of people uh, uh, approaching me uh, individually, uh, but also uh, starting to recognise that uh, um, our, what we do as architects, um, you know, in terms of designing buildings is more than that, but actually we have a role to play in city making. So perhaps in that, in that respect, 
Do you think perhaps architects are undervalued or underutilized perhaps in society? Absolutely. I do. I do think that. I do feel, um, you know, <laughs> um, most of my, uh, even my friends, when I uh, tell them that this is what I do, most of them would have no idea what architects do, what architecture is even about. Uh, there is that uh, understanding, especially in Australia, and this is uh, given uh, and is driven from my um, from my uh, studies and my um, work experience over in Europe recently, between 2015 and uh, 2017, I uh, spent, I was living in Europe and uh, I, I do believe that they have a stronger focus on designers and valuing their skills to solve some of these uh, bigger problems that we had, whether it's uh, physically um, in our environment, whether it's taking, um, action, uh, collaborating, or even at a policy decision-making level, architects do have their voices heard and have a seat at the table. I noticed you, you, re you recently left Cox Architecture where you worked for, for some time. Um, I, I went through some of the designs you did, and, and, and I, one that really, some, some, a lot of them stuck, stuck out, but one that really was of interest was the Brisbane Ferry Terminal. That's right. So that's a, uh, that was a project that um, the Brisbane office um, of Cox Architecture um, had done. Uh, it was in collaboration with Oricon as the engineers. Um, and this was immediately after the uh, Brisbane floods that we had. Um, I, I actually grew up in Brisbane and uh, um, had spent uh, my childhood and my, all my teenage years um, in Brisbane. Um, and so there's, there is an affinity to that city in terms of being built around a river and um, the Brisbane Re River really being the natural feature of the entire city. Um, and during the flooding, I uh, had friends who were personally affected um, through that and uh, being able to uh, see how... Uh, we, how a, a hundred year flood could actually have such a devastating impact, not just in terms of that city, but in terms of the people. Um, now that we're experiencing more uh, natural disasters and extreme weather events, it's so important that we actually be able to um, work together collaboratively in a multidisciplinary way. And I think the Brisbane Ferry Terminal uh, project is a global exemplar in terms of how that can come together by looking at the engineering solutions um, where the uh, instead of being uh, the ferry terminal as um, transport infrastructure instead of being a barrier to the natural uh, ways the river flows and the water passes through to actually adapt that into how we design um, these type of structures from the get-go and by doing so, uh, the team was actually able to uh, come up with a very inventive solution where the gang um, plank uh, walking onto the terminal could actually lift up during flooding and then uh, rotate so that it is uh, uh, in the same direction as the river currents so that it won't be damaged. Um, they actually uh, looked at what happened uh, during the flooding in terms of how the existing terminals were damaged and um, 
by working directly with engineers, with other consultants and um, specialists, um, getting that expert knowledge uh, to come uh, up with a solution that's, that's not only uh, contextual to Brisbane and its river, but actually works with, with the climate and the changing climate is one that's uh, resulted in this solution becoming the world's first uh, flood resilience uh, ferry terminal. I've got to say, though, that it's interesting then. So not only is it the functional, but it's also beautiful. There's an ethereal quality about that. It, it, almost, it reminds me, when, when the, at dusk, it, it reminds me of like a, like a firefly or, 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 or a dragonfly on, on, on the surface or just above the surface of the water. Um, is, that, right. is that, obviously it was done on purpose, but is, is there something behind that in terms of its, its, its actual look? I think it, it really was about um, t also transforming our understanding of infrastructure as well. I mean, it's interesting um, for us to, I've done a lot of um, transport infrastructure projects uh, in Sydney, uh, mainly with the new metros uh, that have uh, been uh, constructed and under construction still right now. Um, but also recognising that a lot of people feel uh, in Australia, I feel um, that infrastructure is really just um, um, an engineering uh, project where it, it, it might not uh, be able to uh, work well with um, with the the site context and the existing landscape. But I really see infrastructure as activation towards our cities and that they can actually be beautifully designed to work well with our existing architecture as well. And, um, you know, we see this with a lot of the Cox projects in terms of the bridges we've designed um, has always had a very strong engineering quality, uh, but also a focus on aesthetics and how that is actually um, experienced by users um, and how it, such infrastructure projects can reshape an entire city and actually uh, be positive for, for the future in terms of growth and um, sustainability. Okay, so you are one of the seven ambassadors of this year's Sustainability Awards. Um, what are you hoping to see from the, this year's winning entries? And what are you hoping maybe not to see <laughs> from the entries um, on November the 12th? Look, it's very exciting um, to have uh, the awards um, in Melbourne uh, this year. Um, and, you know, it's something I'm definitely looking forward to uh, in terms of the types of uh, projects that would be recognised um, with the accolades. It would be, personally, it would be great to see an understanding of uh, the social and the human aspects of projects rather than just um, technologies and green technologies um, being embedded and added um, to, to architecture. I do feel we, uh, ha we have definitely moved uh, for, for the past 10 years, moved beyond just um, uh, seeing sustainability as an add-on. In fact, in terms of um, how we even assess and evaluate such awards and such projects which are worthy um, of uh, being, being labelled as sustainable. Um, and really just uh, more so understanding um, how are we, uh, what are the impacts at the end of the day? Um, how, how are such environments impacting users? How is it actually, what are the metrics 
that um, these projects might have to, to understand that. Are they making a difference to the environment, to the climate? And, uh, and in, in, in ways that, uh, that can be adapting to future uh, threats and, and future uh, scenarios. You know, pandemics are going to be uh, becoming more common um, and not just pandemics, but, you know, extreme weather events, you know, and it'll be interesting just to understand that, you know, we have to have a longer term view of where we live and how we live in our cities. And these projects need to demonstrate that they are able to adapt and evolve during um, times where there's so much uncertainty. I think you may well be pleasantly surprised, William. Um, thank you very much for that. Uh, that was absolutely fascinating. And, and I've got to say, I'm honoured to, to, to finally get, get, to, um, get to talk to you. That's all right. No, it's been a great pleasure and it's just, uh, been good uh, seeing uh, the, the summit also move to an online um, platform and uh, uh, for me to be able to engage with other thought leaders um, and um, people who are uh, changing um, the game and um, the direction, especially uh, to have this conversation this year is uh, more, more important than ever before. H.Y. William Chan, thank you very much. You, you've been listening to Talking Architecture and Design. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Branko Melodic. Thanks for listening to Talking Architecture and Design, brought to you in association with the Architecture and Design Network. The A&D Network proudly presents the Sustainability Awards now in their 14th year. You can find more information at sustainablebuildingawards.com.au.